Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host today, former linebacker from the Patriots and Jets and also University of South Dakota Coyote. I've uh, got me with me today, the Brady's again, Brady Papinga, former linebacker from BYU and NFL linebacker. What's up, Brady? What's up, guys? The former Coyote, huh? Yeah, That's Coyote. Not, got there. Absolutely. Not Coyote. We're very particular with that. Yeah, you uh, might be the Looney Tunes. I, so you yeah. basically showed highlights of the Looney Tunes, I'm sure, throughout the duration of your career watching that Coyote never get we, his ultimate goal, right? We were, we were, we were the people cheering for him all by ourselves, apparently. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Anyway, on the other side of this call, I've got the other Brady, Brady Quinn, former quarterback at Notre Dame and NFL quarterback. What's up other Brady? Not much. We didn't have any uh, cartoon mascots that we were rooting for. <laughs> so just a double so red-haired Irishman. One question I do have for you though, Brady, is we were talking about this earlier. What is the singular form of Irish like if you said I am a Notre Dame Irishman or do you just say I am a Notre Dame Irish where do we go with that how do you make it singular is the question you know Brady how we answer that question is you know football is a team sport so we're we're all (laughs) one so we're we're the Irish that's how we handle that I mean maybe where you went to school at BYU you guys were individuals we were a team see they that's where they got that concept right with the mascot as well. I don't feel like that was a direct answer. I thought that was a slap <laughs> in my face. Amazing, I'm looking amazing. for a direct answer. If I'm going to say, hey, Brady Quinn is a Notre Dame Irishman, or is he a member of – I mean, is there a singular way to say Irish anything, or do you just have to say he's part of the Notre Dame Irish football program? I think if you were going to be uh, grammatically correct, you would say Irishman. But, again, okay. everyone okay. usually you know, refers to everyone – in the plural form as the Irish. Yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, nice. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, now that we got our grammar down, let's uh, let's roll into this uh, episode here for today. Uh, you know, obviously, this is draft week. Uh, it, it's pretty much what dominates the NFL schedule this time of year. It's all anyone's thinking about. Um, we have sort of a unique situation with the three of us on this call. We have a, a guy that was a top pick in, in Brady Quinn, a guy that was more of a middle-round guy, Brady Papinga uh, by the Packers uh, as a fourth-rounder, and myself who was, you know, went to a small school, neither Notre Dame or BYU at the University of South Dakota, and I was an undrafted free agent. We all played uh, about the same amount of years in the NFL, so got to the end point kind of the same way, but, or, but obviously got there a different route. So what I want to talk about here a little bit today is we're going to break the conversation sort of into three parts. Uh, we don't want to spend the whole time on the draft because listeners here, some are going to be hearing it on the front end of the draft and some after. Uh, but talk a little bit. Of, we're going to talk a little bit about your draft day experiences. We want to talk a little bit, though, about what happens after the draft, which I think is when sort of the cameras get shut off and what is really a big part of the experience for a player that first time sort of wandering into the an NFL facility and being around NFL guys and trying to learn an NFL offense or defense uh, so back to back to the beginning though we're going to start off with this draft day experience uh, I'll start with you Brady Quinn obviously you know yours was a very public story and I don't mean for you to sort of replay that here today I thought maybe just the idea you know 
the cameras were there that we all saw sort of the, the anguish. And I, I think the league plays that up a little bit much, but uh, one of the things I was curious with, uh, you haven't watched that, haven't seen your reaction, heard your reaction in a lot of other places. I'm curious just from the, the point of view of a lot of the guys that are out there now that have had all these visitations, which I know you had leading up to that process. I mean, we had them as well. Uh, you know, probably not as many myself, but, I'm curious as you're sitting there trying to figure out who's going to take you like every other player in the draft, what, what sort of goes through your mind as far as some of those interactions you had and how they worked as cues that who might take you or didn't work or any sort of the misinformation you got leading up that didn't sort of play out on that day or some that did. I'm just always curious on, you know, now it's, it's just such a guessing game where all these things mean and players have been doing it for the last several months. Yeah, I think the the biggest uh, piece of misinformation that I saw and heard going into it, well, I guess there was two things. There was some misinformation, then there was some, you know, truthful information. Uh, the truthful part came from Phil Savage, who was the GM of the Browns. He said, hey, if you and Joe Thomas are both available at the number three pick, we're going to take Joe Thomas. Uh, my agent, Tom Condon, had no idea to make of that. He didn't know if it was a smoke screen or if they actually intended – to you know, keep that promise, and then that was the direction they wanted to go, and they, they kind of felt out of respect to me, being from Columbus, Ohio, rooting for the Browns all my life. Uh, you know, they didn't want me to be too disappointed. So uh, that obviously came out to be the case. Uh, that was obviously true, uh, and and then based on how things worked out later on, um, you know, Phil was very upfront and honest. That was the kind of GM he was. And then the other piece of information was probably the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they had contacted my my head coach and, and leaked word to my agent that that was the direction that they wanted to go with the ninth pick. If I wasn't picked before then. Uh, and then when that piece uh, or that, when that time came around, that ended up not being the case. Uh, so it was interesting to see kind of how things played out, uh, you know, along the process, you know, you work out with the Buccaneers, you work out with, um, you know, the Dolphins and all these other teams you, you go visit and see a lot of people tell you stuff in the end uh, draft day is where you actually get to find the truth. Right. And again, Brady Papinga, I, I, I had similar, you know, experiences myself, obviously at a, at a different part of the draft where I thought I was going one place. Sure. I'd get some in, in draft information, a call from my age and a call from an ESPN correspondent that was friends, things like that and said, Hey, you're on their board right now. Alert, alert. They get a phone call that says, Hey, we're, we're considering you, but then it doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm just curious from your point of view, any of the, any of the visits you took, any of the things where it felt like, wow, that's where I'm going. And then it just didn't go that way. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting, I didn't take one visit as uh, we, the, the time was arriving to the draft. But as you are a draftable player, what happens is, as you guys experienced it, is that you get a number of calls from the teams, and they're verifying your number and your personal information. So when that pick right. comes and they need to act, they, they know they, they have all the right information, so they're not scrambling around. And every time, you know, I received, I don't know, maybe a call from at least half of the teams, maybe 20. And every time I would talk to somebody from the organization, and most of the time it was the regional scout that oversaw my area and scouted me, I would just directly right. ask them, say, hey, where do you guys see me? And to be really honest, everything, they, everything that I got, there wasn't one time that I was misled or lied to. It was just like the Dolphins, they said to me, hey, we look at you as a third or fourth round prospect. The Green Bay Packers, same thing. Oh, we look at you as a third or fourth round prospect. And so on and so forth. And the thing that was interesting is, the Green Bay Packers, in that particular draft, the third round comes to their pick. They fall back. They trade out of that third round pick, fall back. And I'm like, oh, man. I, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, if I'm still available with one of their fourth round picks, they're going to pull the trigger. 
And so when when it came to the Packers uh, having to draft me in the fourth round, I was almost like I, I had this feeling. I was like, I'm going to the Packers. And sure enough, they called me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, here we go. So it was almost like different in the sense that they were just up front with me and they said, hey, this is what we're going to do and this is where we see you. And it actually ended up turning out the exact same way that told me it did. So, and, and again, it's different, though, if you're at the top of the draft, like with Brady's situation, than in the middle, because the top of the draft is really where the smoke screens play out because those picks are a lot more valued. Whereas in the middle rounds, I think they are a little bit more up front with you. And then on your end, you know, I had an experience with my younger brother that's sort of like what you were talking about to where teams almost want to lead you on if you're a free agent that they will draft you so that they'll build up loyalty. Is that how you felt there? Matt, oh, the, the draft was going on that, oh, this team wants to draft me. Oh, man, that makes me feel a little bit more loyal to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got that sense where, oddly enough, the three teams – actually, uh, three teams offered me free agent contracts right as soon as the draft went cold. Uh, and all of them I worked out for prior to the draft. Uh, the only – you know, one that didn't offer me was actually Miami. Uh, but the Colts, the Browns, and the Rams, who I eventually signed with, were, were the teams that worked me out and were the teams that were calling me in the draft. So that felt good. But, yeah, I got those sort of earlier rounds. For me, uh, it was fifth round. So I got that first call then and said, okay, now understanding I'm coming from a small school, so my expectations are a little lower. you got a lot to prove. They just – who knows how it's going to translate. And then the second part, I was injured. I would torn my MCL in our version of the uh, – the, uh, senior bowl it's called the snowball of division two and uh it's moved on now but uh so i knew that i that i had some red flags of my own some concerns but so when the call came in the fifth round i'm thinking okay this is about where i thought we'd be but then they all they keep you on the phone you know they, they call back every once they'll say hey you're on our board if this pit goes and it's just this excruciating i mean to a different degree obviously than what what brady quinn went through but on in my level in my world and in, in my at my agent's house in minneapolis with just my dad it was one of the longest days of my life, just, you know, thinking you're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to go. And then, you know, one team calls, the other team calls, and they, all three of them keep you on the line. And then as soon as you realize, you know, and it gets late in the seventh round, you're almost like, you know, it's, it's better now not to get drafted because then you have your choice. So for me, it was actually uh, Leonard, uh, Leonard Little. If you remember Leonard Little, who uh, oh, yeah. was had the suspension issue with uh, the drunk driving accident. Uh, and he he was suspended. So for us, it was we had the offers from all three places, and we just made the choice based on it looked like at the outside linebacker spot there might be a vacancy. He got a uh, suspended sentence and and didn't want you know didn't miss a year or anything like that. So when he popped back on the roster, it looked like the wrong decision because that was a spot I played. But anyway, yeah, it was it, it's certainly a different play. You, you get the sense that you are kind of being strung along, and at the end of the day, you know, free agent. But the, the difference today for players between fifth round and and really free agency is is virtually nil. It's it's a little bit of upfront money, but after taxes, cost of living in those towns, it's gone in a few months anyway. So. All right. Well, hey, anyway, on to, the, on to the next thing. I actually had this idea of Brady Papinga. I was curious about this when, when I saw your story. And obviously, you know, you went to BYU. know you did, you, you did a mission during school in Uruguay. I uh, hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, I'm close. curious now. Yeah, it was close. It's close in, in the ballpark, in the ballpark, and I'm not yeah, bilingual. Try, try it this way. Try it this way. Go Uruguay. Do that. Uruguay. 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 There, there you go. go. There you Uruguay. go. Now it's rolling off the tongue. Good job. So what, I, what I'm curious with, and obviously yours is a positive story. Uh, I know there are others where, you know, maybe a guy's a little older. Uh, he's coming out for different reasons. He's got 
this, I hate to even characterize yours as a question mark. It's not, but you're a guy who are, we'll just say non-traditional. You didn't just go through your four years and come in. I'm curious in sort of your lead up, how does it get phrased to you? Do some teams a little more aggressive with that? You know, like the commitment to football question, you know, just because you have other aspects to your life. Do, do they come at you like that? Or were all teams very respectful of that? Do they want to know, hey, this guy's a couple of years older than the other rookies. Is that even a factor at all? I'm, I'm just curious. They liked that. You know, whenever I sat in on the interviewers at the combine or spoke with any personnel department people through the process, they all talked about that as being a strength instead of it being a negative. And it's because they felt like the maturity aspect of it also as a, as a solid locker room guy to come in and just be, you know, part of the team and be over a lot of the, you could say the, the ego drivers that are very destructive at times in a team setting, such as trying to get all the credit. And, and so they, they felt like, hey, this guy's mature. He's above that. He's beyond that. And, and we have a better chance of, of having a guy like this settle into the culture of our particular franchise and maybe a younger guy that's still learning those kinds of things. And so it never was looked at as a negative, to be really honest with you. The only negative about me was they always questioned my speed. And, I, and actually, I talked about it in my book, The True Spirit of Competition. You can find it at Amazon. But uh, the thing that was always questioned was, man, are you going to be able to break the 4-8 barrier? Are you going to be able to run faster than 4-8? And, I mean, there's even a guy who actually uh, was my linebackers coach who ended up being my linebackers coach at uh, Green Bay. His name's Winston Moss, currently still is the linebackers coach, that basically sat me down and said, if you do not run faster than a 4740, you cannot play in the NFL. And I remember thinking to myself, are you kidding? I was like, I can name off a whole gluttony of a list of yeah, guys that ran slower than a 4-7. You're just trying to play Jedi mind tricks with me, you know? And, and so I go out and I run really well. And he was the first guy, because I ended up running a 4-5, went 2-6-8. He's the first guy I went up and said, hey, check out my time. And I sort of rubbed it in his face. He sort of laughed at me. He's like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's good enough. Okay, You're good, okay. So... So that was really, you know, the biggest question mark was more about my speed than it really was about, you know, my age and those things because they looked at that as more of a positive. Cool. So, Brady Quinn, I'm curious. Obviously, you're getting much more scrutiny probably than either the two of us did because, like like Brady Papinga mentioned, the value of the pick and all those kinds of things. Any sort of unusual angles, any way they came at you, any questions that were a little bizarre and seemed like, what are you talking about? You know, like, how is that relevant? Anything sort of in that realm for you? Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I, I had a litany of uh, different interviews per se, or visits and, and, and workouts with teams. So everyone had their own strategy. You get sometimes the coaching staffs that were laid back and they just wanted to get to know you as a person and your background, your family, how you grew up, those sorts of things. You get some guys who would, uh, or coaching staffs who try to try to trick you. Uh, sometimes they'd, they'd say things to you, uh, you know, this is supposed to be this, right? And you'd say, no, this is what we did in our offense. And you try to explain it to them on film or, or they you know, try to flip something just to see you know, what exactly your football IQ was or how well you knew your college offense. There was even times um, you know, coaches would put on a play on film and say, what happened here? And what they wanted to see was they wanted to see if you were accountable or if you made excuses. They wanted to see how you would react in more of an adverse situation since they're not going you know, to have really an opportunity to you know, play that scenario out like right. what happened throughout the course of an NFL season. So uh, it was interesting. And I, and I won't say which particular coach, but uh, he was uh, he used to be a head come coach. On, and now he's, out, now he's on call TV. Out. Now he's on TV now. So I, I'm sure you can do the math on that. Well, I, I'm always – <laughs> <Come on. laughs> 
Show I'm always they tell about, dude. Just throw them out there. Throw them out of the bus. They'll throw us under the bus, guys. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's we don't have to. Do a, we don't have to do a bus show. Let me. Let me real quickly ask this question. <laughs> this right. is. This is always. This is always my sort of thought when 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 I see this stuff happen, and and I think it's easy as we get removed from the game, all three of us now, and, and you you get a little further from it. It's easy to lose an appreciation for it, but you know all the anguish I know that Brady went through on that day as you fell. Uh, and you know, Brady Papinga sounds like yours is pretty much in the ballpark of what you expect. And I know me personally, I sure. was riding the roller coaster of emotion myself, but once you realize, okay, it's over that feeling of joy. And, and I have uh, this daydream will pop in every once in a while, once a year or something like that. But when I realized, you know, I'd signed, I'd agreed, okay, I'm going to sign with the Rams. I, I jumped in the car with my dad, drove from Minneapolis all the way back to South Dakota, uh, I think my wife, who was a softball player at USD, had a game, and we had, we drove up uh, there and just, I think, I don't even know at the time, probably texted or something and said, hey, St. Louis Rams, you know, and just that feeling of like, wow, you make it. And I think that's something that gets lost a little bit. Obviously, we see the parties and the you know, all the stuff, the family celebration, but just those quiet moments were like, it's real now. Oh, my goodness. Anything for you guys that, you know, sort of once the cameras went away and it just sunk in, this this is happening. Yeah, for me, it was this, this, this feeling of knowing, A, where I'm going to be, and then B, what position I was actually going to be asked to play. Because for me, it was, you know, I was one of those tweener guys. Maybe you were also there, uh, uh, Matt. But uh, yeah. I, I, So I didn't know if I was going to get my hand at the ground. I didn't know if I was going to be on the end of the line of scrimmage in the three-point stance in 3-4. Three, I didn't know if I was going to be off the ball. And so that was my first question to the Packers, to the linebackers coach when he talked to me. Was I was like, so, where are you guys looking to play me? Like, at the end? Right. Or, you know, how, what kind of linebacker position? And he's like, oh, we're going to play you off the ball. And he started describing it to me. I'm like, okay, well, at least now it gives me an idea of what I could start to prepare for. And so, and that's the thing I think that's most nerve-wracking about the situation, other than maybe, you know, having your expectations met as you go into this draft. It's that you now have, after the draft's over, you now have this opportunity to figure out and ultimately know well, this is where I'm going, this is the direction I'm going to be editing into, and this is the position I'll be training for, and, and things of those natures. And so I think a lot of the, the anxiety that comes from the draft process just has to do with the unknown, what comes after the draft. Because I had a lot of friends that expected to, at the very least, get a free agent, undrafted free agent deal who didn't. And the draft was that moment, that that just like curtain that just said, oh, your career is now over and it's time to move on. And that was also quite sobering, you know, because that was, that was not even a, a thought that went through their head the whole process and even based off of the information they were getting from NFL teams. So there, there is that feeling of the, your life literally changes 180 degrees for many of us after the draft because your life will never be the same. And I know since the draft, my life hasn't been the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you, Brady. Your life definitely changes, although, you know, for me, guys, I think I was still trying to figure out what the hell happened. I was still trying to – I mean, and when I say that, it was, it was partially because with, with during the 22nd pick when I was actually selected, I was on the phone with the Ravens the entire pick. And the rounds used to be 15 minutes back then. So I was, I was talking to Ozzie Newsom and all these other coaches because they were trading for the 23rd pick. So I, I'm telling my family, everyone thinks I'm going to Baltimore, you know, and, and they're kind of ecstatic. And, and to be honest – you know, once a team passes on you, you're kind of like keeping that little like checklist of like, all right, you passed yep. on me, you passed on me. Right. So you're kind of like kind of getting that grudge building up. And now now I'm like, all right, great, I'm going to Baltimore. Now I get to play Cleveland because they're my childhood team, but, you know, they already right. passed on me. 
Well, then all of a sudden mm. they call me for the last minute, and they're, like, taking me. And next thing I know, I'm being, like, pushed out onto the stage. I was still trying to take it all in. So wow. even after the fact, it was like, so what do I do now? Now I'm going to Cleveland? Like, well, how, how did that all just happen in a, in a moment's notice? Well, beyond beyond just the teams, I don't know about you guys, but and again with Brady, it's a smaller group. Brady Quinn, it's a small group of quarterbacks that are going to come off the board, especially at that at that round. But for me personally, you know, as you go into that senior season, you become aware who some of the other guys are. You know, like I'm an outside linebacker. I have a good sense of who the twenty to twenty five maybe guys that got a chance at this thing. You get to know them, you play them, and some of these senior bowl kind of situations, you, you, you meet them, you'll have similar agents, stuff like that. You, you, I start watching them, reading on other guys saying, where am I going to fall? Where do I sit relative to this guy? And, you know, you have a, a certain, I guess, point of view on yourself and what you think you might be able to accomplish. And that frustration for me was seeing some of those guys tick off the trick. Whoa, him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, and then you're just following <laughs> and going away. It's like, wait, what's happening here? And uh, so for me, beyond just ticking off teams, it was sort of keeping track throughout my career of some of those people that teams opted for instead of myself. And then, you know, just the glee of being able to live out a, a full career. So uh, anyhow, I'll, I'm going to go on to the next topic here. And I think this sort of is really the part where the curtain goes down and fans don't get to see as much. But for me, this is really when the NFL started. You know, the whole day of thing is cool, but that's really a media event. It's great to know you're in. But that whole, okay, now I'm in the NFL. Now I have the job point. For me, it was, you know, this, you, you pull up for for us with the Rams. It was Earth City, Missouri. They have a nice, beautiful sort of suburban training facility. You walk in, you know, you've had calls with coaches and scouts and things like that, but that's not the other players. You walk in, I walk into my first locker room and I come around the corner and they're, you know, they're just showing me to my stall or whatever. And Ernie Conwell, I don't know if you guys remember the name Ernie Conwell. Yeah. Either you guys, yeah. Ernie in, right? was, yes, Ernie was a tech. Yeah, it's like a little pit bull, yeah. Oh, he's not a tall tight end. I'd say he's maybe six, one or two, but he's just broad chested, just, you know, like Mr. Olympia kind of looking thing. And you walk around the corner and that's the first sort of air quotes NFL guy I see. And he's just, you know, just gotten out of the gym or something. And he just is swole to all hell. And you're like, mm. what in the world is that? Like, you're like, are they all going to be, are they all going to be like this? You know, it's like, what have I got myself? And then, you know, a few minutes later, Orlando pace, you know, six, eight, all six, eight of them are or whatever Jeff Skadina Purdue guy just another monster nose tackle kind of has that angry sort of you know adversarial player kind of look on his face Kevin Carter who's just a physical freak all these people and, and the Rams had a lot of them at that time the Rams had some serious athletes on that team but that first moment of like wow now again my my point of view is gonna be different from you guys Notre Dame and BYU is gonna have some bigger athletes than, than what we had sure. but that first moment of like wow, this is serious. And and then it's like, I've arrived. I'm here. I got to get my stuff together. Yeah. For me, yeah, it for was, you know, uh, yeah, I was, when I walked into the, the, the Packer locker room, I just remember looking, cause I'm, I don't know how he was with you guys, but on our practice jerseys, they would put your name on the Jersey. And I remember walking to my locker and seeing Papinga on the back. And even though it was a Packers practice Jersey, was unbelievable. I just looked at it and said, are you, what the, and I looked to my right and there was Favre's locker room. And then yeah. I remember that day we had a practice. It was like, let's, all right, we're, out, we're heading out to practice. And so uh, basically when we went out to practice, my first kind of moment of, dude, this is unbelievable. Is like, ask Mon Green, 
to give me a ride. And I called him Mr. Green. And he goes, no, 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 call me Maude. Don't call me Mr. And I was like, sweet. Because I'd, I'd grown up following his career at Nebraska, and I knew all about him. And then when we yeah. get to practice, and I ended up somehow on the field facing the starting offense. And I remember Amon Green just taking off down the sideline. I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch him from behind. And I'm running and as fast as I humanly possibly could. And he just starts just just pulling away like nothing. I'm like, dude, this is unbelievable. <laughs> These guys <laughs> right, right. are so fast and big. And then it's the, the master of their craft. And so it's you're right. It's really not the, uh, the beginning, the draft. The draft is just sort of a launching point. The beginning is when you actually get into the facility, start to immerse yourself into the culture, and start to acclimate to what the NFL culture is. And you're just amongst a bunch of masters. And if you go through most of these teams, and I don't remember what the stats were. You guys could probably help me with this. Most of the teams aren't made up of guys that are first-round, top-tier draft picks. The most of the guys are free agents, middle-round, late-round guys. And so it's like the draft is over. It's like forget about it. Who cares? We're done. What can you do now for us? What can you do to help us win? We don't care what you got paid your signing bonus. Yeah, I mean, I think my uh, experience is a little bit different because we had a rookie minicamp um, pretty soon after that, uh, after the draft. So my, my first exposure was really to all the other, you know, rookies, the guys that I was drafted with in our draft class and whoever they signed as free agents. And uh, so, you know, working against each other, I mean, you obviously noticed that everything kind of went up a step, right? It wasn't college football anymore. Things were faster. Exactly. The scheme was more intense than all that. Uh, and so it really wasn't until like the first OTAs where, you know, you got those veteran guys there, those big guys there, and you went, holy crap. Like this is a whole <laughs> nother speed, a whole nother level. These guys are that are big are so much faster and they seem to get to their spots and know what they're doing. Uh, so it, it was, it was, it took a little while, I think, for me to get to that first practice where I really started to, to see, you know, how fast, how special, how amazing some of these, you know, athletes are that you see on a day-to-day basis. And I think a lot of people take it for granted because they see them on TV, but until you get down there in the field and you play against them and you're in there in person, you just, it, it's hard to have an appreciation for it. I would say this, I, I don't know if it was that way for you guys at Cleveland. Uh, I, Brady Papenga, you sort of alluded to this, this idea that there are some some lower draft and even some undrafted guys on a lot of these rosters. The team I walked mm-hmm. into with the Rams, it was literally one of the first, it was a part of the first speech. And it was almost as if Coach Vermeil at the time, Coach Dick Vermeil, and remember Mike Martz is the offensive coordinator there. Uh, they wow, they made that a real point uh, of emphasis right off the bat that uh, – you know what? We drafted you. That's just because the market says we got to do you at that time because that gets you in our doors. But we picked all of you because we have an intention of all of you having a chance to make this team. And they go through the roster and they tell us there in St. Louis that this was one of the highest percentage of undrafted guys that were on the team. London Fletcher being one up and down the list. There's a lot, a lot of guys on that roster. So all of a sudden it puts a little juice in you like, OK, I don't need to be starry. I this this could happen here. Uh, one of the things that that goes from there, though, okay, it's like, all right, new table's been set. This is how this is going to work. Now I got to figure out how to make it go down. We go into our first uh, meeting room, and and I'm curious about you guys' experience as far as this as well. And I think a lot of it might have to do with the offense you played at Notre Dame, but the defense you played at BYU. For me, at South Dakota, what what we played was a little unusual. It's not like any NFL scheme. So anything I was going to come into was new. Now I had the sort of I guess, MO with my coaches, you know, I'm a double major pre-law guy, high GPA, all that stuff. And, you know, I'm supposed to be the smart guy or whatever. 
And coming in thinking I'm this like football nut, I, I watch film more than any guy, you know, I know the game, all that kind of nonsense. And walking in and realizing I was like a toddler, <laughs> you know, like Peter, Peter, Peter Junta at the time was a, was a defensive coordinator. Uh, John Bunting, the longtime Kansas City Chiefs sort of ring of honor guy, was my linebacker coach. And I remember they sat me down and, you know, kind of gave me, all right, hot stuff. Let's, let's go through the film. And just like, like I said, you have no idea how the schemes work up there. Things are flying so fast. The reads are crazy different than what you see in college. And all of a sudden I feel like, okay, from the outside, this stuff is, is, it's just, it's so much harder from the inside than it looks like from the out. So it's something that's always sort of a reminder for me whenever I hear, you know, see other people trying to grade film from the outside or use their high school experience to explain everything that's going on the field with us. That was that real big wake up moment for me where, wow, I have no idea what's going on here. And they're going to explain it. And now I got a lot to learn. How about you guys? Well, even to that point, you know, I remember, you know, again, coming from a coach who was, you know, winning Super Bowls as offense coordinator for New England Patriots in the NFL, and he's bringing this NFL system. Well, so my learning curve for learning a system wasn't as big of a jump, but what was was learning the defense. Because the athletic ability of defenders like you guys out there is so much greater to that you guys can run more complex coverages, more combo coverages, things that you Mm -hmm. typically didn't see a whole lot in college football because they didn't really have the personnel to do that or, you know, players didn't have uh, the football IQ and the intelligence. So uh, that was a huge adjustment, I think, for me from from the whole aspect of learning and all that was just the whole defensive side of it and just how good and how fast the talent was and able to adjust to things. And I'm I'm with you there, Matt. When I was learning my responsibility – I was thinking, who the heck draft? Why did they draft me here? Because this, because what I was asked to do when I showed up in Green Bay was not meant for a guy who was six three, two hundred fifty five pounds. That was more of a rusher slash the end. It was meant for a guy that six foot two hundred thirty pounds because you were in coverage, right. man to man coverage ninety percent of the time. And I remember lighting up saying, okay, so we're in. They they call it switch was the coverage, and it was two man, and we would run it on first and second down. And if we wanted to go into an eight-man box, I meaning you bring down an extra safety to, to fortify your run defense, we'd call it switch up. But it's just still two-man defense, and I'm thinking, okay, so I have to card this tight end man-to-man, or if the back goes out, I have to switch with the mic backer and take him. But at the same time, if they run power, which is like the most you know aggressive run at you, I have to be the teeth of our run defense. So basically you got me in a conundrum. And I'm like, this? Right. And I was saying the thing to myself, this defense has survived in the NFL because it was the defense that the Miami Dolphins had played for a number of years with Zach Thomas and, and those guys, uh, Jason Taylor, who had been ranked in the top five in scoring defense, run, uh, uh, you know, number of rushing yards, allowed defense, and so forth. Sam so Madison, of, Patrick Sertain, all those guys, yes. We played exactly, against the three years. A, they were tough. They were tough. Exactly. It had a lot. Of, it had a really good track record, but I'm thinking what they're asking us to do as linebacker, I thought was the most unbelievably – just non-logical way to ask a guy who's aggressive, a hard hitter to play. And so with that to me was what blew me away is that, oh my goodness, there are some schemes that exist in the NFL that are right. so unsound and principally just not good. And you, cause you're always thinking when you go to the NFL, everything's better. The schemes are better. The coaching's better. Oh, to the contrary, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that's better are the players. I would say the coaching yep. is probably inferior to college uh, the schemes at times, other than the complexity, because it can't be as uh, it can't be as much uh, in college. You just don't have the time to to really implement a lot of complex schemes. But it's it's not as uh, at the height of the the uh, the football world, including college football, as we all assume it to be. 
to piggyback off that, it was interesting because when I got to Cleveland, you know, they didn't want the quarterback to do any of the identifications for the run scheme or the or blocking scheme as far as setting the protections. And I was sitting there going, man, this isn't enough. Like, I feel like I need more. And I kind of didn't really understand why they weren't having the quarterback do more in their system. But then once you started playing, once you started kind of getting involved with these complex defenses, getting through your reads and progressions and so forth, then you kind of understood why they wanted to kind of, you know, put that more on a veteran center like Hank Fraley or, or like Charles Belling when I was there. Yeah, I, I, obviously my experience was night and day from what you you described, Brady. I was Papinga. I was I was blown away with the complexity and how to me it was sort of intuitive. I, I liked how how things sort of played out. I, I was I I thought I had some of the smarter coaches. St. Louis had a unique situation where they had I I want to I might be screwing this now, brought up either four or five head coaches at some point in the NFL that had all been on that staff. Mike White, who used to be the head coach of the Raiders, obviously Vermeil. There was Al Saunders. Uh, There's just a bunch of dudes that were super experienced. I actually was more just thinking I was in a master's class relative to what I've been doing before, because what I was used to was more of a man concept, you know, with maybe one zone change up and then pressures built off both. But this idea of cover four, which was sort of, uh, foreign to me but which is actually really common in college now uh the idea of combination coverage is where where one thing can be going on on one side of the ball where it can change if there's motion if shifts all these things basically the idea that there was a shopping list on the front end of every play that i never (laughs) considered in college so it's like holy crap like okay wow i've never looked at uh the the tight end split relative to the offset back i've never I never paid attention to what might change on down a distance and if this route combination happened and no, 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 no. I just was, you know, trying to make plays. So <laughs> I, to me, it felt like I'm in a new universe. And I really, even especially once I went on to, to, to New England, I thought with Coach Belichick, the one thing that people don't see as much is the teaching part of it and really trying to break it down into com- its component parts and teach you every single little bit where I'm having to learn what the DBs are reading and the defensive linemen and all that kind of stuff where I felt like, okay, they'll put you in a, uh, in a position to be successful where you'd struggle with something. They'll use those OTAs in many camps to figure out what doesn't work for you. And they were pretty flexible as far as sort of redoing the language, making the communications easier. So I guess it, it, different expo- experiences in, in a lot of different places, I guess. You know, you're talking about Bill Belichick, the teacher. Uh, I don't know if you saw this latest photo that came out of his White House visit, but uh, did you see where he was checking out that model? <laughs> yeah, yeah I saw that. Oh, saw that. <laughs> okay, just a little. I know it's a little tangent, but did you think that he was actually checking her out, or do you think he was almost shocked by the dress that she was wearing because the slit was so high? It's a decent question. You know, I'll put it this way. I've been caught in some photographs you know like where the eyes move and it just snaps at the wrong time and i just you know i'm always cautious to to read a man's mind off of a millisecond snap so i'll just leave it at that linda his uh his girlfriend came out and sort of a lighthearted instagram thing so i think he's off the hook and can laugh that one off with her so we'll see yeah that was pretty funny actually because even kaminsky who was at the thing frank kaminsky the wisconsin basketball player he's like yeah. seven feet you know, he, he had a direct line of sight downward. So, I mean, his looked really kind of, you know, suspicious. <laughs> Bilicic, he almost had this like, look on his face like he's halfway in shock. Like, are you kidding? Like, though that, that look that he gets if a, a ref made a bad call or something. The, the little yeah, smirk. Like, Love yeah, that smirk. Like, it's like, are you serious? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, it wasn't like yeah. he was, like, thinking it was so sexy. I saw the photo with him and Russell Wilson looking at the same time. So, I feel like because both oh, were right. – 
you know, maybe it justifies it more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe, it may, maybe it makes it a little bit easier to take in, too, if you're his, if you're his girlfriend. Hey, he wasn't the only guy checking it out, right? Right. He wasn't the only <laughs> one. Yeah. So one final thing, before we wrap this up, I wanted to kind of get into this idea, sort of taking everything we just talked about, you know, all the all these new experiences that rookies have, all these sort of new eye-opening situations you're going to come into with the pros that you don't have as a college player. You thinking of some of these guys that are coming out of the draft now that will have sort of that biggest adjustment. Like I, I was thinking a little bit about a, a guy named Byron Jones, who who has really been sort of one of the darlings of the combine because he just flew off the map. Athleticism out of this world. I, I've done a couple of his games when, when he played at UConn. He, he's a good player at that level. Uh, but I, I just wanted that's just an example I brought forward where I'm curious to see where all those things we saw are great in college. Then he hits on all the measurable stuff, but everything he's now going to be asked to do once he gets in the door to one of these facilities is likely to be very different than the things we've seen on doing a football field. Doesn't mean it won't work. Could work out, you know, swimmingly and he could have an awesome career. Uh, I think he actually probably will, but I'm curious if there's another example you guys can think of, or, or at least just some positions or something like that for guys. We're going to see go through this draft on Thursday where the adjustment is going to be severe and, and, you know, maybe it's not a one year adjustment. Maybe it's a two and sometimes fans and media aren't, aren't, aren't used to that being what's the norm. Yeah. I, I have a guy, Kevin White, the wide receiver out of West Virginia, who is just a physical specimen because playing wide receiver in the NFL is more than just being able to beat defensive backs with your physical raw athletic ability. There are intricacies of running routes, reading coverages, being able to read on the run, change those routes according to what defenses you're getting. You know, if it's a zone and a man, obviously you're sitting down versus running through. If it's a man coverage, those kinds of things. Is he going to be – how long is he going to, you know, take for him to adjust to those types of things instead of just relying purely on his physical raw athletic ability, which he was able to get away with in his time in college football? And we're seeing a guy in Cordell Patterson up in Minnesota – uh, that he's 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 sort of dealing with that same dilemma that he had been able to in college to win just by virtue of the size and speed, the size to speed ratio, and his raw athletic ability. And he gets the NFL, it almost counts for nothing. It's good. It's not that it's you know not valuable, but there's other ways you're going to have to win as a wide receiver in the NFL in order to be successful, which he's learning. And right now he's pretty much already claiming, talking about Patterson, that it's a make or break year for him. And so, so I look at you know Kevin White in the same kind of way that. He's in a situation to where, you know what, let's see how long it adjusts because his game hasn't been once where he's relied on the intricacies of the wide receiver position to win. He's relied more on his athletic ability, which in the NFL gets neutralized, not only just by virtue of the cornerbacks he's going to be facing that are going to be better, but then the coverages and the way that they cover you, whether it's combo coverage or what have you, are going to be a lot more complex like Brady Quinn has alluded to. Well, just yeah, real I mean, quick on, on that point before you hop in there, Brady, I, I was just going to say that I think that is an excellent point for this reason. It depends on where he goes. And and if he yeah. ends up in a system that requires you to route read concepts, in other words, you're going to have, you know, the, the route adjusts on the fly. There's a, there's a conversion in the route based on the coverage you see, exactly. and he's got to do that. And he's not good at it. And we don't know. And he doesn't know, you know, or if he gets drafted by another team that doesn't do that, just does strictly route tree, you know, come out of the huddle. He knows what he's running. Uh, there's a little less of the conversion and he could be a star player. I think you see, you know, we, we saw Chad Johnson come here uh, to, to New England after doing one other thing for nine years and look, not like the same guy in, in another kind of system. So I think where you land often as a, as it plays a big part in, in how well you're able to do in the NFL, if it sort of fits your own style. Sorry. Yeah. Brady, and look, ahead. every, every NFL system is going to have 
some sort of uh, route adjustment, whether it's to coverage or, or based on your release, based on what kind of coverage right. or how the defender's playing you. So he's going to have to deal with that. And, and these spread offenses that the quarterback and the wide receivers come from in college football, unfortunately, just do not prepare these guys for the next level and that sort of scheme. But going back to your original question, you know, for me, it, it's always funny. I'm always I'm always curious to see how the big boys up front on the offensive line take. You look at a guy like Brandon Sheriff, played at yep. Iowa. He, he's mm-hmm. going to possibly be one of the top tackles taken. And how much attention or media attention and, and, and all that, how much has he really gotten? I mean, you look at the top of the draft now, you're drafting quarterbacks, you're drafting you know, left tackles who are protecting the blind side, really both sides nowadays. you got to have two because the other position you're drafting is are these pass rushers who can get after the quarterback. So – that now has become the, the I don't want to say face of the franchise, but right now, if you were to look at the Cleveland Browns, you'd say Joe Thomas is the face of the franchise. I mean, he's the guy who's been there the longest. He's the guy who's been most successful um, right. as far as Pro Bowls and that sort of thing. But it's always funny to me is how these big guys handle that that sort of pressure, the media attention, everything that comes along with it off the field as well, because they will be asked to you know increase their role uh, as, as a part of that community, as a part of that organization. I think that's a really interesting point for this reason. Uh, you know, if you have that huge high asset, you know, where you pick a Joe Thomas, where you pick Brandon Scherf, which, you know, it, it also depends if he drops to one of those teams that think he's a tackle or that thinks he's a guard. Uh, th- those things are going to, it's a huge d- disparity in what his path might be. But I, I think it's one of those positions where it's a longevity position, 10 years, 15 years, if they're that kind of player. But it, it's weird. Any more of these days, they want that day one starter which is really odd at that position, especially, you know, if, especially if he moves from left tackle to left guard or especially, or if he happens to land on the team that wants him to play right tackle, it just depends on the need that they have and that there might be a growth curve. And some people don't like growth curves when you're talking about first round draft picks, just you, you're a first rounder and you get out there to play. But uh, anyway, well, I'm going to wrap this show today, guys. want to thank you again. Had an awesome time. Uh, that is going Great. to be all for today. And this podcast, the FBF podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the football by football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online. And if you don't already, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. Thanks, guys. Had a blast. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.